to Burlers Hurlers. Today is June 19th. Happy Juneteenth. Uh, the White Sox are 31-42. and 42. They're in fourth place, five and a half games behind uh, in the AL Central. Uh, since last we talked, Sox had a little nice little five-game winning streak, sweeping the Tigers. Looked like they might sweep the Yankees. And then they followed that up with a nice uh, three-and-seven stretch. So we're... Eight and seven in June. We were funny enough, just one game over five hundred in May, as well. So it's not April horrible, but it's still mediocre to bad baseball. Uh, I'm host Dan. This is Don. Uh, to be honest, I did not know we were only five and a half games back. This like last ten game stretch was so horrible. I think the team is horrible. That if you ask me, like, don't even think about it. How back? Are, I would have said like twelve and a half games or something. I'm astounded it's that close. I know the Central is bad, but like I'm astounded we're that we're still kind of in it. Yeah, by all right, we should be completely out and be talking 2024, but the AL Central is so bad that we're still hanging around. So for for context, I'm looking at the standings now. The second place Orioles are five games back of the first place Rays in the East. The third place Astros, awesome team, won the World Series recently. They're five and a half games back of the Rangers. So like that that is our that's how far back we are relative to other teams. It's crazy we're still in it, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's wild and it's kind of frustrating because it would be nice to sort of know where we stand, but we're just stuck in limbo right now for the past month and a half. It seemed like we were gonna be out of it really early, but we've gotten back into limbo because the twins have just They've been horrible as well. So it's been an interesting start to the year. Not typical, not what we expected for sure. Um, we could hit up the Corpse Watch real quick. I don't think there's a ton of notes. But let's start with Mankata back on the back on the IL. I mean, this guy, he it seems like he's trying to get back, but he's just he can't get back. It's frustrating, Don. You're a proud Jersey owner, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it off to you on this one. It, I feel somewhat responsible because I I bought my first ever Sox jersey. I'm 35. I bought my first ever jersey this year. It was Moncada. I wore it to a game for the first time with you a couple weeks ago. So the debut of my Moncada jersey, we got a W. And a week later, he gets injured, and it's getting to the point where like. I'm probably 99th percentile on the planet in terms of how much I love the guy, how good I think it could be, how much I want like the Sox to commit to him. But it's really getting to the point where like, do, I mean, do you cut, do you like non-tender, do you like release him? He's got two more years left on his deal, one of which is a team option, and they are extremely expensive. I know like the fan base has been down on Mokata for a long time, but I don't know if the the people on my side, like the dwindling minority of Mokata supporters, are aware of truly how much money he's going to cost the next couple of years. 
next year, it's $25 million. He's going to be your highest paid player next year. And then there's a team option in 2025 for $25 million with a $5 million buyout. So he's got $30 million left on his deal, minimum, if we buy him out, which it's looking like he is. And even when he's healthy, I, I can't even lie. Like, it's not good anymore. That stretch before he got injured in April looked awesome, but he's not really walking like he used to. It seems like he's always caught between, like, well, do I be my patient self that, like, got me to be a almost star? But then fans are mad at me because I'm not aggressive enough. Or do I stay aggressive and I don't walk? And now he's in this like middle ground where he's doing neither. So we have like a bad third baseman who gets injured all the time, who we owe $30 million to next year, essentially. I, I, I don't even, I'm like speechless. I don't know what to say. I'm so disappointed. It like actually, it sucks. I don't like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm out of words for how much this like saddens me. It's like D Rose with the ACL, honestly. Like, I know it's crazy to compare the two, but that's how, like, sad I feel seeing Moncada's career just get derailed. Yeah, I think that's a decent enough comparison where it's just, like, gets hurt and just never really gets back to even, you know, being able to be on the court or field in this case. Yeah, the cost is really becoming an issue, especially with a very budget-conscious owner to ownership group. Um it seemed like a good deal at the time, but it started looking bad even in 2021, honestly. the Well, I think that's when he signed it, but just the, <laughs> the back end of that deal, the back end of all those deals that we gave to the you know up-and-comers are starting to look pretty bad, and Moncada's is the heftiest where it's like, yikes. Because, I mean, if it comes down to it, like, would you rather have Justin Turner or Moncada today? And the fact that you have to scratch your head even once kind of says it all. It, it It's a huge issue, too, because, like, the back injury specifically, we've seen it before as a fan base, like a fan favorite. I don't even know if Makad's a fan favorite. I keep saying it. A, a stud defender, third baseman, who showed, like, at his peak and be one of the best third basemen in, ba- third baseman in baseball. Career gets derailed with back injuries. We saw this with Joe Creedy. We saw this like potentially awesome career get derailed because back injuries for baseball players, not only does a swing aggravate it all the time, being an elite defender and like going right left, it's just always going to be aggravated. I don't know if there's like a single guy who has ever like successfully put back injuries in his past and has played like 155 games. It just doesn't happen. I'm not saying you're going to like retire, but like, you're going to miss 40, 50, 60 games a year because any little tweak, that means you're out for 15, 20 games. So we already saw this with Creedy, but the difference with Creedy was he didn't get paid yet. He didn't get paid yet. Creedy, like we, once he was good, he was like injured right away. And then he was, it was, it would have been as if after the world series, we owed Creedy $80 million and he was just never a star again. So I don't know what to do. He obviously has zero trade value. But we don't have anyone coming up in the farm system to replace him either. So it's like, well, I guess we just pay him $30 million in 2024. So as a neutral Moncada guy, like, what do you like? What what are our options? What do we do with the guy? We can get into that. We've got a little time carved out for uh, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you said it, though. We're, we're stuck. He has no trade value. He's slumping. You, I think he kind of falls into a large group of the roster where you kind of have to start 
retooling. I think he's a guy you retool around because you have no choice. I mean, you can't just, are you going to DFA him? (laughs) Probably not. So I think he's going to be around and all we can do is hope he figures out how to play a hundred games a year. That that's kind of my realistic goal for him. But yeah, I think the loss of identity from Moncada is kind of all over this roster. And we're going to talk about that with some other players too. Um, One more. uh, I have one last Moncada point real quick. Yep. Sure. So if we're talking the AAV of a contract, the average annual value of third baseman contracts, here's the top five in baseball. If we're talking next year. So the 2024, the top five, highest paid third baseman Anthony Rendon is getting paid 35 mil a year somehow I mean that's a horrible contract Arenado 32 not looking too good Manny Machado 32 Devers 31 and then Moncada if you factor in the five million dollar buyout which like you have to because there's no way he's getting that team option Moncada is the fifth will be the fifth highest paid third baseman in baseball next year and if you told me that in after those huge years he had in like, you know, 2020 or 2019, like, oh, fifth highest paid. That's awesome because he might be the best third baseman. That was the gamble we took. But now we have the fifth highest paid third baseman in baseball who might play 50 games a year with like no production. It's a catastrophic signing at this point. And it's taken me probably two years long to see that more than most Sox fans. But if we're talking like a resume, why Rick Hahn deserves to get fired? It pains me to report that Moncada is like probably at the top of that list. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of looking like that whole, this is the rebuild and it's for sure working mentality might be Rick Hahn's undoing in a just world. It would be, but we'll see what actually happens. Um, Other IL news. Pretty sad. Uh, Hendricks back to the IL made his comeback. Big story in MLB. Yeah, after, you know, recovering from uh, non-Hodgkins. And, you know, there's not a lot you can say. It was, You know he was trying to get back early to, you know, get back out there and participate, contribute. But we, he was kind of – he looked a little diminished when he came in. Wasn't really hitting the clock the speed same way he was when he was 100% healthy. Expected, but uh, to see him go down, it's a bummer. And especially with the bullpen the way it is, high leverage situations, we need guys with the, the you know, mental capacity to get outs with guys on. So it's a it's a huge blow to see him go back. Yeah, to put to put numbers on that, the diminished velocity last couple of years with the Sox and since he signed here, his average fastball velocity is ninety seven point eight miles an hour. And we've seen him hit 100 with ease. This year was 95. So he's lost more than two two miles an hour off his fastball. So, like, I mean, you see it. There's no, we all love the guy. And it's incredible what he came back from. But in hindsight, like, bad team, guy coming, like, recovering from cancer. Did we rush him back? Should we have, like, just allowed him to rehab longer? I, it's another tricky situation. It's just a bummer to talk about, too. Yeah, and are we seeing that with Crochet too? Is he coming back in the wrong role right. too early? Should he have, you know, been at Double A, Triple A, stretching out as a starter potentially? Since it's not really looking like he's going to be effective as a one inning reliever, should we be 
thinking about the future doesn't seem to be a priority right now <laughs> for how we're managing the roster. There's another corpse watch. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. This, I love this guy. I love this guy. <laughs> pre-show we're like how do we make a bad team interesting and so far we're doing a great job right <laughs> here's two players who suck here's one more throw another I mean, shrimp Clev- on the barbie who's another well clevenger is on the il2 which is so funny because our last podcast we talked about uh like how bad of a signing it was and that was before he came back from injury and now he's back on the il again and becky and i are going to the game tonight probably and there's not a pitcher list. There's not a starting pitcher listed because we literally, and that is so emblematic. This is a huge game, an enormous game tonight. And we don't have a starting pitcher listed because we signed this horrible player to be our fifth starter with zero backup plan, even though he was injury prone. So like, is it going to be a bullpen game? Or are we going to call up some schmuck who gives up seven runs in the first inning? Who knows? But this is 2023 White Sox baseball. Our best players suck and our worst players are always injured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the even more frustrating side of it is that Clevenger does look good at times. He really does. So it's like you hate the signing. He gets injured. He he pitches pretty he well. Know? He does. Are I you, mean, he's effective. I think he is. I, I, I he think he's strikeouts. And I he gets out of jams. I don't know, man. I think it's like our poisoned White Sox brain sees him and we're like, Oh, that's a pretty good pitcher. But for most teams in baseball, he'd be like a set. Like for the Dodgers, he'd be like their seventh pitcher or something, you know? I just feel like our fandom has like warped our brains into like not knowing what a good pitcher is anymore. You're probably right. Although a Dodgers seventh starting pitcher would be their number one ace right now because they've yeah. got the injury bug over there worse than that. Was a, yeah, that's a bad example. I feel historically the Dodgers a great have like example because years. Dodgers have 15 injured pitchers but are still elite. Yeah. <laughs> it it really says how little we planned. All right, let's let's get off the corpse watch on uh let's get to some topics. I think the biggest thing going right on, going on is whatever's going on with Tim Anderson. Um Don, do you want to get us started on TA? Yeah, um, I don't know how much we want to get into like his personal life stuff. I really don't. But he gave that interview, I forget which radio station, where he basically was like pretty open about uh, how his like personal life has kind of impacted his play, which I believe like these are human beings. And I don't think we talk, we like consider that enough as fans. Like these are human beings. If you have a bad day, like at home, that's going to affect your work. That happens with them too. I thought the most interesting part though was when he was asked about playing here long-term and he gave such like a ambivalent response for people who don't know what I'm talking about. When Tim Anderson uh, was asked, like, do you see yourself long here? Do you want to resign? And he said, well, if, if I'm back next year, that's cool. If I'm not, that's cool too. I just want to be paid like a shortstop because the implication was like, well, if you're resigned, or as a free agent, you might have to move to second base. And his biggest concern was like, well, shortstops get paid more than second baseman, which is true. I've been an elite shortstop for a long time. That's true. I don't want to get paid like a second baseman in free agency. I want to get paid like an elite shortstop in free agency because we all see these contracts, 200, 250 mil. So those two things combined, like 
eh, if the team wants me back, great. Also, if they do, I want to get paid in the midst of like a historically bad slump for Tim Anderson. It just really rubbed me the wrong way. And I'm not a guy who like criticizes players for being selfish or getting paid because like we all want money. But those two things, like it shows, wait, you're like the leader of the team and you don't care if you're here. And also you are not willing to be flexible for what's good for the team. Like if Colson Montgomery is awesome in 18 months and pushes you to second base, you're not willing to do that. It just It's insane to me that he said this when he's literally been one of the worst players in baseball this year. Like, I, I don't get it. This is a guy who is, has so much joy for the game, who has been like our like leader in more ways than one for years, like a superstar that MLB like advertises the field of dreams game. Like that was peak Tim Anderson. And now he's saying, eh, who could, eh, I don't really care if I'm here anymore. It, I'm, I'm just blown away. What, what are your thoughts? I, that's the first I'm hearing uh, some of those quotes. Oh yeah. I'm not shocked really. Uh, the last, I don't even know, two years, it's kind of been souring for me, the TA experience, like, especially the, like when you say things like he wants to be paid as a shortstop, which means he wants to continue playing shortstop. Like, okay, that's like the most difficult defensive position. I think everyone would agree, maybe center field catcher are up there too. Uh, he's not good at it. So that's bad. He's not a good defensive shortstop and he's not hitting to make up for it. Like he's not having like Xander Bogarts type numbers where it's like, yeah, he's, he's okay there, but he hits so well that it's fine. So I don't really understand his case. <laughs> like at this point, I think you to make yourself attractive as a trade piece, if you don't care where you're going to play, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, you have to be open. Like right now, like you said, this is, it's awful. It look he's lost at the plate. He's completely lost his identity, his ability to, you know, do what made him an, a star in the league. But he's like almost not acknowledging that that's happening. You know, it's it's very, it's like he's blind to <laughs> reality right now. And maybe that's because he's so wrapped up in whatever's going on in his life. But we're just fans watching the game and. He's not good at the dish. He's not good in the field. He's not good on the base pass. He's not good in the interview room. And then you're telling MLB, I want $250 million to do that for your franchise for the next 10 years. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's, it's delusional. Like, it really is delusional. Because to your point, like, Javi Baez just recently got paid, even though he's, I mean, not been good for a while. Like, he struggled with the Cubs for a couple of years like two and a half, three years, but and then he still got a pretty big contract from the Tigers, like $140 million. Yeah, six years, $140 million. But to your point, he's been elite defensively. So if you're the Tigers, you're a struggling team, you're thinking like, okay, are we getting that superstar Javi Baez, that 30 homers a year, hitting 300 MVP candidate? Probably not, but at least we know the floor is extremely high because he's like the best defensive middle infielder in baseball, and he's just so... His like energy is infectious. He's a guy you want to be like the veteran leader of a young team, and we're willing to pay overpay for that. Tim Anderson, if you're like a bad team and you're looking at a free agent market, Tim Anderson's defense sucks. 
he's clearly like diminished as a leader because his personal life is infecting that. So what do you pay? Does he really think he's getting like a hobby bias contract, which was a bad contract at the time? He's he's no one's giving him that like zero people are giving him that. I know he's probably like upset with himself for signing a contract that like underpaid him getting that like financial security early. Like Tim, like a Chris Sale was, he was like pissed off that he was underpaid for so long. But at least Chris Sale was producing and it like proved that like, well, I'm underpaid now, but I'm going to get overpaid later. It's just delusional. And I, I, it's another guy. I don't know what the Sox do with him. Do you trade him for 10 cents on the dollar now? Or do you let him just like suck for another year and then you're done with him? Either option isn't good. The only saving grace in free agency might be that the big class just happened in the 2023 free agency. True. So he's kind of in a scarce market, a option that a team could talk themselves into. I could see him getting a contract. I just like from the Tigers, <laughs> like a team like that, a team that's desperate and needs a star. And they're, they're hoping for uh, a turnaround. And yeah, it could happen. Like- he's turning around. He could. But I mean, oh, for sure. But like, if he thinks he's getting more than like fifty million dollars, uh, there's no way unless he really turns it around. Mm-hmm. Which I'm, I mean, he's capable of. I know I messaged you the other day. Like, I think Dimension might hit like three ninety the second half. He's capable of it, but it's got to happen soon, man. Yeah, let's talk about that G chat because uh, you said he was going to hit you. You've already softened your claim. You said four hundred. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Martin, ten points back. off the average, and I'll give you that because four days have passed. But I said Benintendi is probably going to hit five home runs, so it's looking good for me right now in the forecast department, and still looking bad for you as uh, Zach Remillard stole all our hearts this Saturday, replacing Ta and just playing. It's like you're saying we've been uh, deluded into thinking players are good when they're actually not. We just we see a guy take a walk, hit a couple slap singles and bunt, and he's the goat. It's just it's 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 well, funny. It keeps happening. I have an I have an amazing Zach Remillard stat for you. Are you ready? That this distills everything we've been talking about into one sentence. This is why Zach Remillard. That's right, <laughs> Zach Remillard. For those of you who haven't been following, just got called up. Has played two games, eight plate appearances. He is already the seventh best hitter on the White Sox in 2023, according to wins above replacement. And those eight plate appearances, he has 0.1 wins above replacement. That's good for seventh on the 2023 White Sox. That is astounding. It's not, though, if you've been watching. (laughs) It's equal to Andrew Vaughn. It's equal to Yohan Moncada. It's higher than, uh, obviously, like Tim Anderson. Just eight plate appearances. It's crazy. It's really crazy. <laughs> and good for him. One of the best MLB debuts in Sox history, probably. Um, oh, yeah. That was a fun game. Uh, let's, uh, do you got anything else on TA? I mean, it's it's another one, like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, one other thing that was in that G chat, which Benintendi is off this list, but there are only three players in baseball who have 200 plate appearances this year and zero homers. Tim Anderson is one of them. The other guys are like uh miles straw that like slap hitting, uh, like good defensive fielder and Josh Rojas, like a utility infielder. 
So Tim Anderson, like, I've really liked you for years, but like, you need to look at that leaderboard. Look at that leaderboard on Fangrass and look at the company you're in. You're looking at a utility infielder and like a fourth outfielder who is awesome defensively. Why do you think you're going to get paid $200 million? You have zero home runs this year. Zero. Ugh, I, I'm getting frustrated with the Tim Anderson. Yeah. That's all I got on TA. Yeah, totally fair. And I mean, let's talk about home runs a bit because this is kind of good news that's quietly happening on the team, which is that we could very easily see if Berger gets enough plate appearances, two 40 home run team uh, players on the team this year. And that's kind of crazy. I would not have bet that. We got Luis Robert with 17 home runs and Berger with 16 home runs. That did, Would you have expected that? To, I mean, you probably would have put Eloy and Luis into that uh, if you had to pick two. But did you yeah. even see it as a possibility <laughs> of two 40 home run players? Well, like you said, if you asked me, it, Eloy would have for sure been on the list. And Eloy, like, ironically, has more power than either of them, just like more pure power. But Luis Robert, like, I think that that kind of shows you how we as a fan base have kind of uh, mis-evaluated him, where that might be his most defining uh, characteristic now. His defense has recovered from last year. It's still very good. I wouldn't say it's, like, elite anymore. But it seems like Luis Roberts' elite trait now is power, almost like Byron Buxton, where it's like, wait, I thought this guy was like a super fast, like steals 40 bases defensive fielder. Like, no, no, Byron Buxton hits 40 homers now. Like, that's Luis Robert, which is super cool. Because, like, we talked about a preseason. If there's a guy who's ever going to win an MVP for this team after Abreu, it's him because he's like a true five-tool player. So it's super exciting. You, I was never a burger boy like you. You're probably, I mean, throwing a parade for the guy. If he gets 40 homers every night's a burger parade at my home. Yeah. You got penance and everything. Custom penance. <clears throat> custom floats. thousands, hundreds of thousands <laughs> at this point on the parade floats and the permits. It's, it's become a problem. Oh, I've watched the news. Yeah. You're, you're leading off every night. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I want to transition there a bit because we saw some kind of interesting, not really, but <laughs> Talk aboutable, which is we had a game where the Sox hit four home runs and they had four runs and then they ended up losing that game. And even when they were leading 4-0, I was like nervous because it just solo shots. It's not good. So like a guy like Benintendi versus T.A., I mean, I, I still think that Benintendi has a lot of value on this team because, yeah, he's not hitting for power right now. But he's getting on base. We don't have enough guys that get on base. And that just makes me wonder, is this truly a bad team? Or is it just an okay team that executes poorly at just core competencies of baseball, like getting on base? Do we not have the right pieces? I, I'm, I'm throwing my hands up sometimes because it seems like we should be better than we are. I mean, the answer to your question is we're a bad team. We have the lowest walk rate in baseball. We're 30th out of 30. If we're talking like runs created, weighted weighted runs created, we're 28th, meaning essentially like we're the third worst offensive team in baseball. If we zoom out from uh, hitting and go to pitching, we are 
29th, I think. If we go to fielding, we're like lower third, maybe even worse than that. 28th, yeah. We, we're bottom five in offense, defense, and pitching. There is like literally zero bright spot of all three phases of the game. Which is stunning because if you look at when our roster is healthy, we have good players on this team. We are not playing scrubs. These are like veteran players who are supposed to be in their primes. And we are dead last in walk rate. We are relying on guys like Jake Berger to like carry us to have a career season. Like this is a bad baseball team. It's we're not unlucky. We're bad. We have a superstar and the rest of it is bad. From... The numbers you just gave, it kind of sounds like we're overperforming, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, literally the only thing this team does elite is strike people out. That's it. We actually lead the league in uh, K9, which you maybe wouldn't expect. But uh, that's it. Because <laughs> I think we also give up like the most walks and like third most home runs as a pitching staff. So we uh, quickly erase that. Yeah, I... I, I I try to figure out ways to say, is uh, this team actually going to turn it around? But nothing, nothing is pointing to that. Um, yeah, that's what we're first in K9 and then third to last in walks per nine. Yeah, that's and I've kind of gotten in the habit when I look at the team stats of uh, excluding April just because it was historically bad baseball. But we're still bad, even if you exclude uh, April. So it's like you can't even hide the truth. Um, I mean, just like that game you mentioned with the four homers, four runs and a loss. What about last night's game? Lance Lynn has one of like the coolest starts in years for the Sox. 16 strikeouts for Lynn last night. And we lose five to one. Not, not even like we still give up five runs when Lynn strikes out 16 guys. So even if like one of the offense, defense, fielding or offense, defense, pitching, all horrible, but maybe one of them's a bright spot. Well, the two other phases are going to kill us. It's just, we, we have three hurdles we've put up for ourselves and we trip over like two of the three guaranteed every game. Yeah. So there's a couple things to unpack there because I think the Sox also had um, back to back games with 16 strikeouts as a team, which I don't I think that that was the first time it's happened in franchise history. Um, or maybe it's been 70 years. I can't remember exactly what the stat was. It's been a while. But also in that time, they had like eight hits. That means they put like less than 50% of the balls into play. Out or hit result. I mean, that's pretty remarkable over two games. And for the uh, 16 strikeout Lynn game, good for him. I mean, I think we all know he has it in him. It's just how often are we going to see it? And, you know, I think it's been another like 100 years since that happened for the Sox. But it kind of leads to another thing I want to talk about is does Pedro Grafal suck as a manager? Because we look at that game, Lynn gets through seven, one earned, and then he sends him back out there in the eighth inning, gives up some base runners, and gets yanked before he can record an out. Raylo comes in, does Raylo things, and blows the game. But we see that exact formula again and again and again and again, where a pitcher, 
I like if you're watching the game, he's obviously just labored through his last inning starting pitcher and he sends him back out. And then we send in Raylo to blow the game. It, that keeps happening. How does that keep happening? I mean, do you think Grafal is a bad manager at this point? I mean, the easy answer is like, it's impossible to say, but I don't think there's any evidence he's great. If you like, if we remember the Ricky Renteria years, or I guess year, <laughs> the guys clearly like loved playing for him. And we saw guys overachieve in the, where there's just like rhythm to the team, that like ineffable thing that drives a team to win. We saw that with Renteria. And I just, you don't see that with Griffol this year. And I'm, I'm not saying that means he's a bad manager, but I think if he was special, we would have seen it. So like, there's no evidence he's bad, but there's also no evidence he, we like struck gold with this Alex Cora type, you know? Can't. I don't know. Should we just fire him mid-season? Try to shake it up. Moncada player manager? Yes, I agree. <laughs> That's what we're saying here, right? Hey, we got to get some value out of that deal. So if we can save a little money on the manager, move Moncada in there. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, the thing about like Griffol with those like bullpen starting uh, like switch. I don't think it's his fault though, because like I feel like twenty times this year we've put in Graveman or Joe Kelly or Aaron Bummer, these guys like we've really relied on, crochet first round pick, and they just blow it. And he's given like multiple guys different chances. Where like he'll bring in Graveman in the eighth to like protect the lead. And it's like, yep, that is like the objectively correct move. And Graveman will give up a homer. Or like Ray, uh Lopez. Reynaldo Lopez early in the year was like Hendricks is out through no fault of our own or his. We have this young kid who throws a hundred. We need to see if he's ready. And but he wasn't objectively right move to see if he's ready. Joe Kelly gave him a shitload of money. These are guys who should be able to perform in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And they're not. It's so like, yeah, I think every fan of every team can like quibble with. I think the starter got left in too long. I think he got inked too early, but some of these things that Grifol is doing, it's like, I don't know if anyone could do any different because the guys are just going in and blowing it in the bullpen. And they're guys that Rick Hahn paid. So, like, what is he supposed to do? Right. Yeah. I mean, by by their pay, they should be in high leverage or they're the only guy available. End of the day, yeah, that's kind of where I end up is, like, he's not taking bats at bats. He's not throwing the pitches like the players have to perform too. I'm, I'm not fully out, but I like. I think you said it perfectly. Like, there's no evidence that he's terrible, but there kind of is evidence that he's not great. Like, yeah, it, he's very much meh right now. So it's still early, I guess, in his tenure. But I'm, it's not impressive, and it's also not. He's not asleep in the in the dugout so <laughs> that's a huge win to not be asleep in the dugout that's nice it's really nice <laughs> nice <laughs> okay um i want to talk about one more part of the roster and then maybe we'll talk about the trade deadline coming up just a bit we don't want to get too bogged down and blow it up talk but what else are we going to talk about uh so something also in the famous G chat is uh, 
the beefcake redundancy problem on the White Sox. And uh, specifically, I'm talking about Sheets, Berger, and Vaughn. Kind of all the same player, not good at defense, decent at the plate, um, or above average with uh, Berger this year. And I guess the question is, is it's a is this a problem to have these players or should this should this be a beef based baseball team? Should we build around this type? Like what I was talking about earlier, four solo shots is the problem. Not that we have three identical players who are not terrible is a problem that we don't have guys that just get on base. Like you brought up Miles Straw as the third uh, zero, whatchamacallit, zero home run guy. But he's great at defense, and he gets on base somewhat. I mean, he has some bad, like, I don't know. Do, where do you see this? Do you, like, you want to move one of these guys, or do you just want to keep going with this nonsense or even build around it? I mean, the if that was our identity and we were, like, crushing homers – with Berger and Sheets and Grandal and all these like beef boys, and you had a couple guys leading off, getting, like this, the ideal version of this lineup has Anderson and Benintendi one two, both of whom have like an on base percentage over three fifty, and they're we have Robert, Eloy, Moncada, Berger, all capable of hitting thirty homers in a year. That's the ideal version of this, where you have like two really, really good athletes at the top and you can afford your three through seven to be like these, these chodes, like five foot two, 370 pounds, which I'm a fan of for sure. But if you don't have the athletes at the top, you can't have six chodes. And right now we got six chodes, no athletes at the top because Tim Anderson sucks. So what are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with an entire running out nine shows. Let's do it. Like, let's just see what happens. No, I, I'm totally on the same page. That's kind of what I was building up to where like, well, I kind of see two paths. Um, you could build around what they have. They just need guys that can get on base and the guys that we pay to do it aren't doing it. But another thought that I've had is possibly do you trade Burger right now this season? So that's what I was going to say. Like, I think the answer is yes, because as much as he's been doing awesome with power, he does have a 288 on base percentage. You can't, I mean, he's not like as atrocious as people think defensively, but he's not, I don't think any team's going to make him their like starting third baseman who has title contention hopes. But if there is a team who wants to win a World Series this year, thinks like we need some cheap power who's controllable. For multiple years, like Berger's not going to be a free agent until he's like thirty something. I think he has a decent amount of trade value because the likelihood that this is his best ever, like six week stretch, honestly, is like fairly decent. It's like plausible. This is the best Jake Berger will ever be in his major league career. So if you're blowing it up and you can get like a decent prospect for him now, there are worse ways to start a rebuild. Because we, I mean, he could. He could have a 250 on base percentage later this year if the team just like learned how to pitch to him. So he could have like 40 homers with 220 on base or 220 average, like 260 on base. And is that a guy like we want to keep around long term? I don't know. I don't know. 
I think the fans I, would revolt though. He's like the only guy fans like right now. Yeah, he's lovable. Um, see the parades, but uh, I from like a strategy and buy high or buy low, sell high type approach. I think that of those three chodes, he is the guy that you should move because I, I think you nailed it where they're going to get tape on him because we've seen all the numbers go down. Like it's been rough. It's it's home runner bust with burger or a double. Like he hits an incredible amount of extra base hits. So he's definitely good. He is good. But like you said, like it's not even a pivot. It's nothing. We basically got I, I think a lot of people inside the franchise and inside uh, like the fans had kind of written him off as lost. So if you can get something from what was nothing 18 months ago, I, I, I don't think that's a horrible move. I think that's kind of savvy. I just don't think that they'll be able to sell that to the fan base right now with a bunch of underperformers who don't look like they're having fun to trade the most fun player in what's been kind of a feel good story. I don't know, but I could easily, if they did it, I would think that's a good move. If they got a good return, you know, I, I wouldn't object because between the numbers, it, it it's kind of ugly with burger. Like, yeah, there's some great moments, great home runs, no doubt. But, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't hate, I wouldn't hate it if they got rid of him either because his value is so high right now. And you see it all the time. Uh, rookies come in, blow up the league, and then they slump their second year because now the league has seen you, they know how to pitch you, and now you need to get even better. That's what makes it so hard to be a star for years. Well, it's so funny because like we have much better players than him, but a trade of Jake Berger honestly like signals a complete teardown more than a trade of like Dylan Cease does. Because if if Moncada's injured with his back thing that might linger for the rest of his career and you trade his backup, you're basically saying, like, we literally have nobody to play third base where we're entrusting it to Romy Gonzalez or something. And if you're the trade, if your first string third baseman is injured and you're trading your second string and leaving your third, your starting third baseman to a guy who, like, probably wouldn't be on the roster of most teams, that's telling the fan base where we're not winning this year. So you might as well trade. Cease, Giolito, Grandal, you might as well trade everybody. But if you trade Cease, you can convince or you can at least try to sell it to the fan base. Like, listen, we're not trading anybody else. We love our core here, but we can really give a jolt to our farm system and get like four guys who we think can help a team in the next couple of years with Cease. But guess what? We're keeping Eli, we're keeping Luis Robert, we're resigning Giolito or something. I don't know. Like, a trade of Jake Berger almost is is giving up, which I think we probably should anyway. But it's crazy that it's June 19th and we're talking about like, ah, should we trade Jake Berger or not? Like that is the biggest decision right now for the White Sox. There's not a lot of options, though. Let's get into the trade talk officially um, because no one has value. Really, no one does. There's injury concerns with all of our stars. So it's not like we can unload contracts. I think the only one that's movable is Grandal. I think a postseason looking team would take a switch hitter with a bunch of experience. I think he still has, we can get a prospect for Grandal, but other than that, it's Berger, it's Cease, Giolito, Graveman, 
you could probably move. Joe Kelly, you can probably move. They're still names. They're still known around the league. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would start there and not with Berger. I mean, where do you where would you start trading people? I mean, I think there's like there's two options. One of which is bold and one of which is likely. And the likely one, I think, is you're going to see the Sox trade Lance Lynn because he has a pretty affordable team option next year. So if you're a team who's trying to contend and you see like, holy shit, Lance Lynn, not a, not great anymore, but he just took out 16 guys. You can get a pretty decent uh, return for Lance Lynn because you got a year and a half of him left. And it's pretty affordable. So like if he sucks, not going to kill us. Same thing with Grendel. He's got a few months left. He's solid. Teams always need catching like Christian Vasquez last year. You're going to, you're going to get like an okay prospect for Grendel. Nothing special. I think you're going to see Giolito get, so none of the, these are guys that like aren't going to kill 2024's teams. If you still want to be good next year for the soccer, you want to try. So I think that's what's more likely than anything. Trading Giolito, Grendel, Lance Lynn, three guys who like might not have even been on the team in 2024 anyway. I really don't see them trading Dylan Cease, even though he hasn't been awesome this year. If he trades Dylan Cease, that would be Rick Hahn having like an enormous amount of power because Ryan Surf would basically be letting him do like a third rebuild, which I, I can't, even though Ryan Surf has a lot of power, I can't see him entrusting another five-year cycle of Rick Hahn. It's been almost 20 years since we won a World Series and the power hasn't shifted. It's like letting him trade a future or a once- and hopefully future Cy Young contender. Like, I just don't get it. It's, I think this, I, I agree on all your trade bait, and I would even throw some relief pitchers in there. Like I mentioned, Joe Kelly and Graveman. I think you can get something back for them and clear $25 million off the books for next year. I think that would be nice. Um, the Cease Giolito conversations really enrage me about how this team expects to contend like the Sox have pretty much made it clear that they don't plan to re-sign Giolito and maybe that's uh gamesmanship like they're trying to build up his market just to see I don't know what they're doing but if you're not signing a Lucas Giolito long term who are you signing for sure Mike Clevenger's you know, it's like just based on uh, how much you, you like just basic utility you get from the guy, 200 strikeouts a year, 200 innings a year. That alone is worth no matter what it looks like, that alone is worth 20 million plus for five to seven years. It just is like that's just the way the league works. So if you're not going to pay the guy who's in house and you're going to disrespect him <laughs> through arbitration and stuff like that. What's the plan? Because then you're, are you saying you're not going to sign uh, Cease when his thing, when his arbitration period ends either? Because, like, is it the plan to just always find low-rent, up-and-coming players, watch them go out the door and win a World Series somewhere else? I don't get it. So, like... I like can think of these things like, oh, yeah, the return for Giolito is going to be good. The return for Cease would be epic. But what are we doing? 
you know? Exactly. Because I'm looking at the the upcoming starting pitcher free agent class, and there actually are some like pretty solid young-ish pitchers becoming free agents. So we're talking like uh, starting pitchers who are 30 or under who are going to be free agents in the offseason. You're talking about guys like Blake Snell, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Frankie Mont, Aaron Nola is awesome. Otani, obviously, Giolito, Jack Flaherty was injury stuff, Julio Urias. Like, there's some really, really good pitchers available. But to your point, the Sox aren't signing any of those guys. And if they're not re-signing Giolito, that second tier is, like, not very good. Then you're talking about guys like, oh, Syndergaard, who the Dodgers took a flyer on and regret it. Like, Michael Waka. Alex, like Stroman, these guys who are like, yeah, they're good, but one year, two years. Clevenger again. It's like, really, what is a Sox plan? Just spend $36 million on three $12 million a year guys who will probably suck? Or just give Giolito like five years, $150 because that's what he's worth? The Sox aren't, it's clear what the Sox are going to do. We're going to keep cycling one or two year contracts of these scrubs instead of paying guys who are pretty awesome stories. Like if G. Lito spent the spent ten years of his career with the Sox, it's a pretty awesome story. A guy who like was the worst pitcher in baseball, as we've all seen that commercial, turn his career around and like contended for hopefully titles, won a, a you know contended for a few Cy Youngs, but we're not going to do it. That's so disappointing, and we're going to get like an average prospect who will probably like end up sucking because we can't develop anyone either. I know. And it's crazy. You wind back the clock to the deals, the blow it up deals. We won that trade by so much. And the Mankata trade, we kind of, it's looking like, I don't know, <laughs> win loss. It, uh, it's hard to say, <laughs> but we went in heavy on the Mankata returns signing him. It's just crazy to me that we would let Giolito walk. And it makes you want, like, the next guy up, Kopech. Are we going to let him walk, too? I mean, it's just, I don't get it. You need somebody to throw the ball. Because <laughs> Giolito, seriously, is going to be around MLB for the next 40 years. I could see him ending up in media easily. I don't know if you saw him at Dodgers game on the mic. He's good on the mic. Oh, for sure. Like, his off-season content, when he gives interviews, he's, like, pretty active on social media in terms of, like, podcasts and video interviews. He's excellent, super smart guy, lo- clearly loves baseball. He's not like a John Smoltz type where like, I, I'm just going to broadcast a game and talk about how much I fucking hate baseball for three hours. Like, who wants to listen <laughs> to that? G. Lito loves pitching. He loves like talking to baseball players. So we should want that as an ambassador. Right. We should want G. Alito as the ambassador of White Sox baseball. But I'm glad you mentioned Kopech. I actually do have a couple Kopech thoughts if we're, we're staying on the train market. Yeah. He's a guy who I have not heard a single person mention in terms of if we were to blow it up, maybe he, maybe he's a guy we send out. He's only got two years left after this year until free agency, which is crazy because like I feel like we haven't gotten the full Kopech experience and he lost like two years because of COVID and injury. But after this year, the clock starts ticking. If we really want to maximize value, Kopech is a guy in a few weeks. I think he has way more value than people might think. If we're looking at Kopech's year this year, 
numbers are not good in total. But check this out. His last six starts, so May 19th to now, Kopech's last six starts, he's got a 1.77 ERA. He's pitched 35 innings and has 48 strikeouts. In those 35 innings, he's only given up 22 hits. He's been outstanding for the last six starts. And it's not just like, oh, he's gotten lucky. No, he, his location is better. He's throwing harder. His first seven starts, not good at all. Most of that is because he's given up so many homers. Like he gave up five homers in the first start of the season. And then he gave at another start with like four, which is like kind of fluky, but like he looked like he was ter- terrible. So if Kopech turns the corner, which he seems like he has, and he can put together a few more starts before the end of July where it's like, holy shit, another 10 strikeouts. Oh my God, Kopech's throwing 98 again. And he's got two years left plus the rest of this year for a postseason. I don't see how that guy isn't like, we can get a couple top 100 prospects keep the returns from that sale trade going where it's like, yeah, Moncada didn't work out. Yeah, we couldn't capitalize on Kopech being good while we were trying to t- uh, contend for title. Kind of push the, kick the can down the road a little bit and restart. He's a guy I would not be shocked if got traded. I think his value would, like, amongst certain groups, teams, would be almost equal to Dylan Cease right now. And I know that sounds a little crazy, but I, I think that in the right hands or over the enough time, you could see Kopech eclipse cease in the next couple years. I just think that he's unlocked something with his fastball and location this year that I think you could get a ton for Kopech right now. But I don't I'm on the same boat of Cease and Giolito. It's like why <laughs> Why are we getting rid of our good players? I guess we have to, but I totally agree that the value, like I'm sure there's certain teams that would just not even be interested because of the bad, but the good has been so good, like so good that you could get a ton for Kopech right now. I mean, if I'm a team like the Yankees or something where I just have so many big contracts and it seems like every huge starting pitcher I sign like either struggles or gets injured. The Yankees have a pretty solid farm system. It wouldn't take like a super superstar prospect to get Kopech. And if he struggles, well, he we saw him be elite in the bullpen. I could see a team like the Yankees giving up a pretty good return for a guy like Kopech, and then they could still spend a shitload of money on like Otani in the offseason. Yeah. I think as we talked, there actually are a lot of moves the Sox could make. So, I mean, I, I don't have a ton else on uh, trades, but I think there are a ton of pieces that could be attractive in the right packaging to the right team with the right sales pitch. I th- So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll talk about it some more. I kind of want to get off it and get to uh, another topic unless you got some more trade talk you want to sneak in. I mean, only like one little cauterizing statement, which is, I think the big, like dark cloud hanging over this trade deadline, everything comes back to, do you want Rick Hahn making these moves? Mm-hmm. Which like, of course we don't, but like if Reinsdorf allows this, even though the correct thing might be to blow it up, wave the white flag, I don't see how Kenny and Rick 
can be in charge of it. But we had six weeks to figure this out, which is not a lot of time. The next five years might be determined in the next six weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. Just about who's running the show. It's not the show itself because there is actually a pretty nice clearance on all these deals just going away um, for a new regime to come in in 2025 potentially. So we'll see it. It's probably going to end up being, you know, just a few upgrades or downgrades. I don't, I don't like you're saying, I don't see them giving Han and Williams another go. I just can't see it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pivot a bit. Let's get back to the R team, which is we're picking the best players of, uh, Don and I's lifetime, uh, to fill, to field a, a roster here. So we did center field. We did Luis Robert there. We did catcher with Brian, but we lost the audio. We are going to re-record that. I won't reveal who it was. Um, a lot of you can probably guess, but, uh, today we're going to do uh, second base. So not a ton of options here in second base in terms of what's elite. There's some fun names, but, uh, for me, the person who I would put forward would be Ray Durham. Oh, I thought and, you were going to explain. <laughs> oh, well, I thought you were instantly going to drool all over that name. Um, but, uh, I mean, no, I just had a shitty grin on my face. Yeah. Okay. It's not really close statistically or even... <laughs> this is good content, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, we got to get an easy one in because I mean, we got death threats about Luis Roberts. So let's, let's make the fans happy. But, uh, it's not close. He's statistically by a long shot, the best second baseman in the last 30 years, like by a lot switch hitter stole bases, hit for power, hit for average good enough at second base. You know, it's not an elite position, but uh, good enough. And I mean, there, what else do you say? I mean, the Sox would kill for a guy like Ray Durham at second base right now. Like, can you just think back to that 95, 99, to that era of club? It's just like, wow, this this current team really couldn't hold a candle to that club. <laughs> like, they were stacked in the infield. And I know every Sox fan would time travel Ray Durham 2000 to today to play second base. I mean, Ray Durham, it's kind of remarkable how consistent he was. Like, you... If you look at his stats, like his prime from 98 to 2006, basically every single year he was giving you the exact same season, which is like, I'm going to hit 280, I'm going to hit 15 homers, I'm going to get on base at like you know 360, I'm going to play pretty solid defense. And I'm just really, that that's what you're getting. You're not getting 200 hits, you're not getting 25 homers, but I'm you're going to, you could set your clock to my production and it's been so long since the Sox have had a guy like that. Like for the if next you go, 10 years, you're, get, you're getting this. If you want to go further down that rabbit hole of consistency, look at his splits for his career. They are pretty much copy-paste down the line, by month, by lefty-righty. He hit the exact same averages and power numbers every month against both sides of the plate and across his entire career. Like you just said, it, it's really remarkable how consistent he was, because especially with this latest iteration, this this uh, core, the slumpiness is just rampant. 
throughout the roster. Everybody's either slumping or they're the hottest player in baseball. And he was just him his whole career. I mean, props. And we rewarded him by trading him for, for John Adkins. Can you believe that? That's a I'm, name from hell. John Adkins. That white flag. Yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, that was like, that wasn't even white flag. That was Oh two. Oh, that was Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And God. John Adkins was not anyone. Uh, yeah, he didn't. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So Durham played about what? Uh, seven years with the Sox and went on to have another great five years with the Giants. I think he played with Oakland for a playoff run in 02. And yeah, we just let him, we traded him for a bum. So not a very unceremonious ending to his White Sox tenure and like didn't even get back the future. We got back a lefty ninth round draft pick. So that might be the worst move in Sox history. I'm just going to throw that out there. No way. That, I mean, no way. It's just like. Hey, I got to make this pod interesting somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, here, here's a, here's something to make it as a contender. Because Ray Durham's awesome. There's no, no one to compete with him in terms of the our team list. Did you give any consideration to Tadahito Aguchi? He brought us the title, man. Okay. I'm very happy you said that name. Of course. Of course. Because for the two years he was here. He was nothing to complain about, like pretty much a Ray Durham type numbers, honestly, not as good, but we kind of got a micro Durham for a little bit. It's unfortunate. He came over a little bit older. I think he came over when he was 31, something like that. And he pretty much disappeared from MLB after uh, the two years with the Sox. I think he had one more year of like plate appearances and starting, but uh, I mean, big props came out of nowhere, instantly won a World Series, and then vanished as soon as he came. I mean, pretty remarkable. I loved the guy. I I was a big fan. He did everything right, played a real solid second, hit well, hit for power. I mean, he was kind of, like I just said, he was prototypical, good second base, exactly like Durham. The only place where you can kind of put like a edge, a big edge, is that Durham was a switch and a lot faster. It's just a shame that, like, you know, those 90 Sox teams that we all loved because that was, like, the team we grew up with and the team we that, like, allowed us to love baseball, those guys, like, weren't really there for the, the in 05. Like, Thomas kind of. Durham didn't get to do it. It's just so disappointing because those 90s teams, like, holy shit, were they fun and potentially awesome. Because Durham never got to win a title, right? He never... Am I making that up? Yeah, he never won a title. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he was before San Fran went on their their little mini dynasty. Yeah, bummer. Bummer for him. Um, Another honorable mention, or maybe dishonorable, or just he's omnipresent in our lives, Gordon Beckham. Oh, God. (laughs) Now, I would never put him in, but... uh, he played for the Sox for like 10 years, it felt like, and just sucked every year. But he never gave up. I'll give him that. You know, he always it never seemed like he was quitting or was he just wasn't capable, you know, and I always kind of liked him despite the the output. The effort was always there. 
I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying his name because we have to listen to him talk and we can maybe talk about his commentary style a bit. <laughs> I mean, Gordon Beckham, good for him. He like really scraped together a long career. He had an awesome rookie season, really like top 10 draft pick and delivered right away and was literally bad for a decade afterwards. But like good for him for sticking around. There's value in that. Like, God, my career is not going the way I wanted to. I'm like barely hanging on to 25th roster spot, but I'm going to grind it out and spend a decade playing baseball. Not a lot of guys do that. He literally played 11 seasons. He played a thousand games. That's that's like stunning because it seems like he was anonymous for 90% of that, which he kind of was. But good for him. Anonymous or disappointing. Yeah, or no, disappointing. That, that's what I mean. Just had like he wouldn't have stuck around as long if, you know, he wasn't giving everything he had. And I think that that was recognized. At least there's we're getting something. I mean, he was a good defender all the way through his career up until, you know, the end. But I think that might have been more age than anything. What do you think about him in the booth? Do you like him in the booth? I Some people hate him. So here's the thing. I actually like him quite a bit uh, for superficial reasons. Like I love Southern accents when broadcasting baseball. Even someone who's like no connection to the South, no affinity towards it. I hang out with like maybe one person who has a Southern accent. I just think for baseball specifically, especially those like long summer stretches playing on the West Coast, it's 9 p.m. and you just hear someone with a Southern accent. I love it. Also, I think he's like pretty funny when you give him an opportunity to be funny and not like silly because Jason Benetti, like I love Benetti, but he is more on the silly side. Everything's kind of like nonstop silliness. Beckham is funny. He like gets kind of inappropriate sometimes. He's like trying to stretch boundaries. I think he has the toolbox to be very, very good. I don't think he's very good yet, but I think he has the potential to be. And if Stone retires in the next few years and they announce Gordon Beckham as the partner, like I honestly think he'd be like, like very good. What are your thoughts? I enjoy him. I mean, <laughs> he had a funny joke just the other day. Benintendi slid into second. It was ugly slide. And he's like, yeah, Benintendi's got uh, about half the infield of dirt in his pants, among <laughs> other things. <laughs> um, and I I think his like self-deprecating sense of humor, I mean, we all watched it. We know he wasn't an all-star player, and he knows it, and he talks about it as such. Um, I think it's fun. It kind of reminds me of DJ when he was in the booth, but taking himself way less seriously. That, um, yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Young DJ, like 90s DJ, was very self-deprecating, talked about his career in like a funny yet accurate light, like had really good stories about playing in Japan because he wasn't good enough to be here and really right. like added a lot to the booth because of that. But something happened, like, once he started getting national exposure, there was a period there where DJ was, like, on a lot of Fox broadcasts. He stopped that, and he started becoming so serious and talking about the about the game and his career in such a black-and-white way that was just, like, not interesting at all. So if Gordon Beckham is a young Darren Jackson, who was very good, that's a home run hire to replace Steve Stone. Yeah, and it's always interesting to hear, like, you know, a lot of commentators were stars, and, you know, they get the respect. It's kind of interesting to hear somebody talk about 
their approach at the plate as someone who struggled and was like always trying to figure something out as opposed to like, well, you know, I just hit the ball 400 feet and that was what I did. So it's, it gives a little insight, especially, you know, none of us watching are pro baseball players. It gives us an inside look at the struggle and just the mindsets. I I enjoy it. I know a lot of people hate it, but I think it's funny. And he kind of, it kind of embodies a lot of the White Sox reality. Maybe not what we want it to be, but the reality. So I like Gordo. Well, for sure. And like, I think it's important for broadcasters to have a timeline. Like, unless you're unbelievable at it, I think the most interesting thing you could bring is having played recently. So you can tell us about like current guy. Gordon Beckham was in the league three years ago. And he was an elite prospect. So he has this like volume of experiences of being like, yep, I was a top 10 draft pick. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be really good in this league right away. I know what it's like to suck. And also, I could tell you what it's like to play with Miguel Cabrera. I can tell you what it's like to play with some of these stars that you watch every day because I was there. Or once you're in your 50s and 60s, like, yeah, you have really cool stories like Hawk Harrelson. But like, I also want to know about the guys I'm watching right now from someone who played with them, which like AJ Prusinski can't give you. And also like he sucks as a broadcaster. So he like gives you neither of the things I want. If people prefer Prusinski over Gordon Beckham, I do not get that at all. Yeah, that's insane. But yeah, Gordo, he has a nice little pers- like time slice of when his career happened, especially for like, I don't know, maybe fans our age where it's like, I played amongst the stars of the last generation and I played with the stars of the current generation. So he can kind of talk to us like, yeah, you know, when I played against Jeter, no one else in the booth can do that really. So it's just, it's kind of nice. It's, it's real nice. Like he played with like Freddie Freeman in Atlanta as like a productive player. Like he, that's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, th- I think there's something there. Um, do you have any other honorable mentions here? Or do we want to bookend this pod on Yon Mankata and uh, Gordo? <laughs> this is a Gordo podcast now. I don't think anyone's going to object to that. Yeah. Uh, if we're winding down, I am going to the game tonight and tomorrow. So I'll report back with uh, hopefully good news, but probably probably the opposite. You know, I'm going to drink way too many beers and feel ill, and that'll be the the best I have to stick, offer. Stick to the Vizzies. Stick to the Vizzies. What's a Vizzy? It's like a White Claw, but it's the official seltzer of the White Sox. It's actually oh, nice. pretty good. Yeah, I've been buying them recently. Right when on. we went to the game, it was the first time I had one. I was like, this is actually pretty good. Bought a case on the way home and drank 12 and called off sick the next day? Don't. Don't implicate me. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, wishing you a good time at the games tonight. It's always fun. You know, I know some people are like, boycott the team. And it's like, yeah, sure. But I still like watching. I I went to like 30 or 40 games of the 2014 White Sox. So, I mean, (laughs) I just can't help it. I like watching baseball. So I don't blame anyone for going out there. Uh, If you want to boycott, go ahead. But have fun out there, Don. Get the, what do we got? We got Polish Heritage Night tomorrow. So uh, get that cap, that red and white cap. Tonight, I don't know if there's any promo. It just says Juneteenth on the schedule. So maybe there'll it's be Juneteenth. something. 
tonight, Polish night tomorrow, uh, Pride night Wednesday. So a lot of stuff going on for, uh, yeah. 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 I think for t-shirts every night. So I'll have some, uh, dirty dish rags, uh, for a few years. You're talking about your Moncada jersey, right? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Um, we had fun with this team as much as we can. Um, We'll be back. I think next week, Don, if you're available, I want to get uh, West Coast Doug in here to talk some Angels. He's an Angels fan. We've got a four-game stretch of them coming up, and obviously I'm sure there's a ton to talk about with Shohei currently leading the league. Was he have 24 home runs? He's leading the Angels in every stat, pitching and hitting. It's insane. That was a great tweet last night that, yeah, yeah he's leading literally every stat that matters. So uh, that'll be exciting to see him play again. We, we saw him hit a home run the game we were at. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, so we'll get some more outside perspective. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll be back. Thanks for listening. That's unbelievable.